Good morning, church. My name is Ben Purvis, and I am not the pastor here at First McKinney. I am the group's minister, and we are in week three of a sermon series that we are calling The Table, and it is my wheelhouse. I am passionate about community and connection and fellowship, and so I could not allow this series to go by without uh, trying to jump in and get a chance to speak. So I want to thank our pastor, Sam, for giving me the opportunity to talk to you this morning. And if you are a guest with us today... I hope you know how special you are and how grateful we are to have you. And everything that we discuss about community and about the table, we hope that you find true in your life. So I am pumped and ready to dive in. I have heard it said that the history of the church is around the table. The table is where Jesus met. The table is where the gospel was spread from table to table, from house to house, from city to city. Sharing a meal together provided the context for a person to be heard, to feel loved, and for the spirit of God to work in someone's life. For a couple of years, the table was open at the Purvis family every Tuesday night. Blake and Nadine were two co-workers of, of mine at a previous church, and every Tuesday we met together and we had dinner. And tonight, this particular Tuesday, was a very special night because Nadine was bringing her boyfriend that we were getting to meet for the very first time. Also, that Sunday before at church, I ran across a young couple, or actually I ran across the the wife. The husband was out of town working. Her name was Carol, and Carol uh, had mentioned, you know, her husband was gone, going to be gone for several weeks, and she was just feeling a little lonely. And I said, well, I will have my wife, Samantha, reach out to you because she had her number, and we want to invite you over to our table on Tuesday night. Great. No problem. We always have people over. So Tuesday comes and I go to walk the dog and Samantha tells me, hey, I think Carol's husband is back in town. So that doesn't seem right to me. She goes, yeah. She texted me back and said they would love to come to dinner. In fact, they were going to bring a meat and cheese tray. All right, great. Walk the dog. I come back. Nadine had brought her boyfriend Chad over, and for about 10 minutes, we were able to talk. Blake was late because Blake is always late. And the doorbell rings, and I go to the door, and as I go to answer it, standing before me are my neighbors from about four houses down who are in their late 70s. We had met them at a Blocktober Bash event the previous year, but had not seen or talked to them since. And there were two things that I noticed. First, 
One of them is holding a meat and cheese tray. And it's at that point I thought, her name is Carol. Oh no. I'm gonna come back to that story uh, because it gets better. Or worse, depending on how you view it. If you have your Bible, I want, to, I want you to find Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read a passage that has been our central focus for this series. Acts shows us the beginning of the church age as we see how Christ followers begin to orient their lives in light of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And so it paints the perfect backdrop for everything that we will discuss today. Look with me in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this morning, I want to kind of give you a 30,000 foot view of things, and we're going to drill down to a specific verse. But as we have read through this passage every week in the series, I hope you are starting to see a few themes come to light. There are four main elements in this passage. There is worship. We see that they attended the temple. We see community. We see service. And we see multiplication because day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those that were being saved. And here at First McKinney, we unrolled something a couple of weeks ago that we are calling our discipleship pathway. And we're gonna explain it further as the year goes. But when we think about what we see having or happening in Acts chapter two, these are the four elements that we want you to have in your life. And so when you think about what does it mean to be a member of First McKinney, a person who is a follower of Christ here of this church, we want you to worship God, live in community, serve others and make disciples the very, very things that we see happening in Acts 2, we want you to have in your life. And this idea of living in community is what we see happening at the table. And so this morning, I want to zero in on verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Church, I have one main idea this morning that I want you to catch, and it's very simple. When we think about the idea of the table, the idea of breaking bread, eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. It is not simply part of the kingdom of God. It is central Jesus used a lot of kingdom language. In fact, the New Testament summarizes Jesus' teaching as proclaiming the good news, the gospel about the kingdom. 
And that means that there is a real kingdom and there is a real king and his name is Jesus. And that in his love and by his grace, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He is coming again. And that if you would repent, believe and follow him, you can be a part of that kingdom now and forever. And church, in that kingdom, the table is present. There is breaking of bread, there is eating and drinking, and it is central to the kingdom of God. Let me give you some examples. The book of John, one of my favorite books, is all about the mission and message of Jesus. In fact, John says that these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you may have life in his name. And John records seven distinct miracles. In fact, John never calls them miracles. He calls them signs. The Greek word is actually samayon. And then in John, there are seven samayons. And that word was used to describe something that only the Messiah could and would do. And in two of those seven samayons, we see Jesus performing a miracle that involves food and drink. The first thing Jesus did was that he turned water into wine at a wedding banquet. A little bit later, he fed the 5,000. Thinking more into the story of Jesus, he was born in a manger, and another word for a manger is a feeding trough. It's as if at his very birth, Jesus says he is the food for the world. Later in his teaching, he would say he is the bread of life that is capable of giving living water. In his teaching, we see this personified further. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, if you remember what happens, the son squanders everything. And when he finally comes home, his father throws his robe over him. He kisses him and he says, this is my son who was lost. He is now found. And the result of that moment is to throw a party and kill the fattened calf. After Jesus is resurrected, we find him meeting his disciples one morning and eating breakfast and fish and cooking for them. So if you are keeping score, some of the best work that we see God doing in the New Testament, as we see God at work at a banquet, a barbecue, a picnic, and brunch, <laughs> New Testament scholar Robert Karras says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So much so that his enemies accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Church, eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. So I stood in the doorway Realizing I needed to say something. And so I look and I said, Carol? And she said, yes. And I said, well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, now, sir, what was your name? I don't remember. Ralph. Oh, honey. Carol and Ralph that we totally invited over for dinner are here. Guys, thank you for coming. Come on in. In fact, if you walk this way, the, the kitchen is just in here. And as they pass me, their back is to me. I look at Samantha and I say, what did you do? 
And Samantha, without missing a beat, she kindly walks them to the kitchen. She says, please put your stuff down at the table. And she turns to me and says, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to have a fight with your spouse? With people present? Without them knowing? And you're whispering? So we... We make a plan. We pull in Nadine. We tell her what's going on. We, Blake comes over. We smarten him up. We tell them, <clears throat> these are the droids we were looking for. <clears throat> we, we're going to act like everything is good to go. We're okay. We have got this. Everybody, hands in on three. Great. Perfect. All right? Not going to have a problem at dinner. So we're good. I walk into the kitchen, and I see Ralph. And he's standing at the table, and I hear him loudly proclaim, Hello, everybody. My name is Ralph. Or you could call me Donald Trump. Chad, who we had met 10 minutes prior, is an African-American man who stands up and gladly extends his hand and says, Hello, Donald. My name is Chad, or you can call me Barack Obama. <laughs> there is not a seminary class in the world to prepare you for that moment. I don't normally get embarrassed or nervous in front of people, but I immediately begin sweating I'm talking, but I am sweating through my shirt like the squishy kind of sweat. And I have no idea what's going to happen. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. And I want you to get this point. The reason for that is because eating and drinking builds community. Community is the secret sauce of living a spirit-filled life. And I think we forget how vulnerable the church is at this time in Acts 2. I mean, what are believers supposed to do now that Jesus is gone? They are trying to figure it out. And we see that their common, ordinary life is centered around two ideas. They have temple worship and then they have table fellowship. The church was not going to survive if they were not willing to share their lives with one another. Can I tell you that you were never meant to experience the fullness of God in isolation. And for some of you in this room, that part of the reason your, your life still hasn't kind of gotten over the hump spiritually is because you don't have true community. You see, community is a representation of God himself. Think back to the creation account. God spoke the world into existence using his word. John 1 says that Jesus was the word. Colossians 1 says that Jesus was the agent of God's creation. In Genesis 1, 2, it says the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. Church, the creation story is a community event. So then there is no surprise then that community is an innate 
human need. If you think back to creation and the garden, Adam looks around and realizes that he is lonely and God proclaims it is not good for man to be alone. One of the most popular sitcoms of all time is Cheers. A show about a bunch of people hanging out at a bar because at least there at Cheers, you can go to a place where everybody knows your name. I'm about to stand on my soapbox here. I apologize. Church, it breaks my heart when other people and places not connected to God do community better than the church because community is intrinsic to our creator and is intrinsic to who we are as his creation. And so breaking of bread, the table, the fellowship, it matters. So dinner. We have a table that's shaped similar to this, and because there are seven of us, I end up on the corner, on the stool that was about four or five dollars from Target that I'm not certain is actually going to bear my weight. <laughs> and as I feel the sweat roll down my back, I am praying that dinner would end. But ultimately, it ends up being a very sweet moment. You see, around our table, four of the seven of us were full-time ministers. And so through conversation, naturally, we got to talk about why we were in ministry, what God had done for us. We were able to pray over the meal. We were able to subsequently pray over Carol and Ralph. And it was a sweet conversation, and they contributed. I mean, as we talked about what God has done, Carol talked about and gave marriage advice to a couple that had been dating for a few weeks. Ralph would say mildly and sometimes wildly inappropriate things and she would elbow him and look at him as if to say, please don't be weird. <laughs> and finally, finally, dinner began to wrap up and I tell you this to tell you, Carol looks at us, and at the end of the night, she says, I am just so grateful that the young people wanted to spend time with us. Church, when we eat and drink together, it builds community. But that's not all it does. Eating and drinking incorporates new believers into the church. This passage in Acts 2 functions as a summary. This is what we see people doing in the local church at this time. And they began to do two main things. We see temple worship. We see table fellowship. What began as a few dozen people in Acts 2 ends up being more than 8,000 believers by the end of first century. And if we fast forward about 20 years of this idea of temple worship and table fellowship, we find the apostle Paul finishing out his second missionary journey. And you can read in Acts 16, 17, and 18 about what happened on that journey. But it was during this time towards the end of it that he wrote the letter of 1 Thessalonians. He writes to a church that he helped start and listen to the wording found in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. 
Paul writes, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. When Paul shared the gospel and his life, he built community, but it did not stay there. there. When we do this right, when we invite people to the table correctly and we begin to build out community, there is an underlying multiplicative effect that we fail to realize because in the same thought process of what Paul was saying in verse 14, he says this, for you brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Hear me, when Paul said, I'm going to share the gospel and my life and invite you to the table, it led to community for people and it led to the spread of more churches. Thessalonica had became imitators of what happened in Judea. We see Paul utilizing what I think is a very underrated gift and that is hospitality. He shares the gospel, his life. He invites others to the table and the table becomes a catalyst for disciple making. Do you know that hospitality doesn't simply mean setting a nice table? Do you know hospitality doesn't even mean that you have to do everything for someone else? Hospitality literally means the love of the stranger at First McKinney, we believe if we are going to ever reach our mission of making disciples that live and love like Jesus, our church must have a hospitality-minded focus. That means there must be a place at the table for the stranger. There must be room in your life group for someone else. After all, if you are here today and you have found community here at First McKinney, you must remember that the reason you have community is someone had made space for you. And if we're going to be hospitable, we are going to have to love the stranger. Paul writes approximately 20 years after we see what, what we've read in Acts 2. Well, 10 years after that, so now 30 years, a generation of people that are meeting together in temple worship and table fellowship and meeting together and breaking bread and eating and drinking together. We find Peter, who wasn't afraid to do the wrong thing sometimes, make a pretty bold claim. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Peter writes, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And all of the introverts in the room who read this die just a little on the inside. Because there is not a cop out. The very next verse, Peter says that we are to use whatever gift God has given us as an opportunity to serve others, to love the stranger. So church, there is no reason, regardless of what your gift set is or regardless of your personality, you don't get to be non-hospitable. That is not someone else's job. That is the job of the church. Because when we eat and drink together, we incorporate new believers. The last thing with Carol and Ralph. We finished dinner. 
They finally leave. They go home. We made it. I changed my shirt. My buddy Blake, who was late, was still hanging around because I guess he has to, a quota of time to fill since he came late. He stayed late. And, and Blake spent the majority of the night at the head of one end of the table, just soaking it all in and trying not to giggle at the awkwardness that we were, had all experienced. And I have never seen this man so fired up. And I did his wedding. And he loudly proclaims that the, before leaving, he says, I can't wait to bring my girlfriend next week. <laughs> and he did. And his girlfriend became now his wife, and Tuesdays continued where we would eat and drink together until they got an opportunity to move to San Antonio. And today, Blake and his wife open their home weekly to other young couples to their table. Church, I would love to tell you that that was our plan, but I would much rather be lucky than good. We didn't set out to have this sort of effect, but through the table fellowship, we see it happening. Eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. So how do we begin to apply what we see in scripture to our daily life? Perhaps, perhaps what we should do is simply get rid of all of our on-campus groups and have everybody meet in homes around the table. After all, that's what some churches do. That's what some really good churches do. Maybe we should just do that. I'm not convinced that that is the answer. Our lives, our communities, our worlds look different than the first century, and I'm not prepared to hit a hard reset, but I believe there are principles we can learn from these passages that we can begin to incorporate into our lives as we approach community and one another in church. Let me tell you, as someone that has been here for a little over 18 months now, there are some great communities here of First McKinney. The table is powerful, and as we think about what we do when we come to the table, here are a couple of applications that I see in this passage. First, don't be afraid to eat and drink. Now, that's not a metaphor. Like, I mean that. Like, do not be afraid to invite people to your table and do not be afraid to be invited and to come to someone else's. I believe that part of the reason some folks are not connected is because they haven't taken the step to actually belong to other people's community. But I believe we have plenty of communities in our church that have a space available for you. You will never become a disciple maker if you don't live in community. In fact, we talk living in community as a central tenet of our discipleship pathway. And I tell people all the time, I dumb it down and simply say, at First McKinney, I wanna help you as the group's minister to find your people, to have the people that you can be a part of around your table. And the easiest way here at First McKinney, and again, I'm the group's guy, of course I'm gonna say this, the easiest way that you can get involved in community is trying out a life group. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have not taken that step, let me connect you up with some amazing and wonderful people who want you to be a part of their group. 
I tell people that if we think about what is the point of a life group, it's simple. A life group helps make a big church feel small, and it's a place where you can be known and loved. It is a place for you to have a seat at the table. The second thing that I see that we can do is very simply we create margin. Our executive pastor, Chris Havard, uses this word all the time. In fact, that word margin might as well be a part of his love language. Saying yes to the table means we have to say no to something else. And most of us, if we were honest, if we were, I mean, gut level honest, the real reason that we don't have community or invite other people to our table is because we leave, leave very little margin in our day for other people. But yet when we read scripture, we find Jesus being interruptible. He comes off as the type of guy who wanted to spend time with you. And so here's the thing I'm going to tell you. To ensure that this happens in your life, you have to be willing to open up two things. And they are hard. You have to be willing to open your calendar to say no to something. And you have to be willing to open your wallet. Because sometimes hospitality costs us something. I am a blessed man. My wife is amazing and I think has a true spiritual gift of hospitality. But she told me early on that our food budget was going to be higher than other people's because she never wanted to be in a spot where we couldn't provide a meal for someone in our home even when we weren't expecting them. One of my favorite things that I get to do is I love inviting folks over for Christmas Eve dinner. And I tell you in this room, if you don't have a, sp a place to go for Christmas Eve, call me. We will make a place for you at our table. Yet sometimes that gets me in trouble. This year, we had five guests that we were planning. And I don't know if you remember Christmas Eve, but we had four services and uh, the weather was, wasn't great. Um, it was cold and we had a lot of people getting sick. Well, five people turned to 10 people during, in between one of the services. That's, a, that's, you know, twice as much. So with God's grace and a little margin and Whole Foods being a half mile from my house, we were able to set a place and we were in good shape. And honestly, this past Christmas Eve was probably my favorite Christmas Eve that dinner that we've ever had. You have to create margin. The table forces you to create space for others. Thirdly, this is the most controversial thing I'm going to say in this whole message. The third application I'm going to give you is to think circles and not rows. As the group's minister, I am always an advocate for our, uh, our chairs set up in rows in our life groups because we have the opportunity to look each other in the eye and have conversation. But do not mishear me. I am not saying that I want every life group to rearrange their chairs. Some of us can't do that due to the size of our class or the shape of our room, whatever. This is a mindset. The reason the table was powerful is it was that it was disarming. It was personal. It was a place where you can be heard and connected. And I believe that those are the things that you can foster in your life group, regardless of if you are a leader of a life group or you just attend a life group. We can make the spaces that we meet, the tables that we set to be extremely personal and we can value the relationship. I'll give you two quick examples of the way I see this happening in our church and it has nothing to do with the chair set up. 
Bob Shipley leads a life group at our church, or he, he is a co-leader of one. But he and his wife, Yova, lead our divorce care. A couple of months ago, I met Bob for coffee, and this man was adamant. Like, he was almost on me of like, hey, we got to do certain things. We got to make sure that we have snacks and signage. And we got to make sure that the room temperature is set the right way. And we have to make sure that people know how to find us. Because his passion was that people were walking into a room bearing some of the heaviest burdens they had ever faced. And he said, we have to be ready for them. And we have to know that there is a space for them that they can be loved. And I'll give you whatever you want in your class if that's your mindset. Ross Ramsey is another church leader that we have, a part of our congregation, and he leads something called Made to Multiply that we talk about a lot. And it is a very uh, practical way that you can learn how to get into gospel conversations and share your faith and share the gospel. And one of the things that his group does is they literally go out a couple of times a month knocking on doors to get into gospel conversations. They began a life group a bit ago as a landing spot for the people that they talk with because they know it is not enough to simply share the gospel with someone like it's some type of multi-level marketing scheme. No, we have to share the gospel with someone and then have a place where they can be brought in where we can share our life with them. In church, both of these people and both of their groups, they think circles, not rows, and it has nothing to do with their chairs but they do prioritize the relationship. And that is my challenge for anybody that is in community, a part of this church. Finally, there's one more thing that we can do as part of this message. And that is simply to remember together. If we go back to verse 46 of Acts chapter two, Midway through, leading into midway of verse 47, we see Luke writing, And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Have you ever thought about when we break bread, when we eat and drink with others, why, why do we really pray over our food? Well, we are remembering God's work and we are recognizing him as the provider for what we have, but we are also inviting his presence into that meal. And interestingly enough, what if I told you that your attitude towards community, that your attitude towards other people may in fact change change just by simply praying over your meal and inviting the presence of God into when you eat and drink? Try it. See what happens. Eating and drinking is central to the kingdom of God. It builds community. It incorporates new believers into our church. But my last point this morning is simply this. Eating and drinking commemorates God's past and future work. This morning, we have an opportunity to remember together with communion. And at this time, I'm gonna go ahead and ask our deacons to come forward and actually begin dispensing of our elements. And as that happens, I want to share a little more about why this is so important. The last thing that Jesus did with his disciples before his arrest was he shared a meal. Yes, the bread and the wine were symbolic, but so were the other elements that were present in that meal.
It was a communal effort. It was a, it was a way for Jesus to spend time with his disciples. But it was a way for them to remember what God had done because what we see happening as throughout the course of the meal of what we understand traditionally of happening at this time is that they were remembering what God had already done in their life, but they were looking forward to a coming Messiah. It turns out that the coming Messiah was actually the one with them breaking the bread. And when we gather together, we cannot separate the breaking of bread without also remembering betrayal. In this meal, we are reminded in a very somber and solemn way that Jesus was innocent. And we are called when we remember to remember our sin, that even if Judas had not betrayed Jesus, we have betrayed him with our own sin and that it was our actions that also put Jesus on the cross. We are the ones that betrayed him. And so the meal calls us to remember our own betrayal and it calls us to remember our own dependence on him because the greatest thing that I can see about this meal is that we are called to remember Jesus's work on the cross, that through his death we are redeemed, that as Jesus conquered the grave, our sin cannot conquer us. And we remember that when we partake. We are restored together. We get to live in God's kingdom. We get to be a part of that now and forever. And church, this is what blows my mind, is that when we understand scripture, Jesus left his disciples eating and drinking. And you know what happens when he returns? Scripture in Revelation says that when Christ returns, that there will be a massive feast called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, Jesus left eating and drinking, and when he comes back, we are eating and drinking, and we get to partake at the table. And what makes that so incredible is at the table, we see generations of Christ followers all gathered together. Church, several of you lit candles a few weeks ago in our prayer service of people that you lost. And those who are in Christ will be gathered together around the table. And it is a place where the presence of God will be with you, where Jesus will look you in the eye tell you he loves you and that he wants to spend time with you. Church, as we remember, we commemorate the work that Jesus did on the cross, but we look to the coming age of what will happen where we will get to eat and drink with him. And so in this moment, I invite you, come, let us remember together. Father, I invite your presence and your spirit in this place. God, I'm grateful for the work on the cross, God, that reminds us of how much we need you. And so, Father, I pray even now that we will just take time to contemplate our dependence. Father, that even now, if there is a person that does not know you in a personal, intimate way, that God, they can cry out, that they can repent of their sins, they can believe your work on the cross, and they can follow you, God, and they can be a part of your kingdom now.
Be with us, I pray, in your name. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered around the table with his disciples. And he took the bread and he says, this is my body that is broken for you. As often as you eat, do this in remembrance of me. And after they finished the meal, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which has been poured out for you. As often as you drink, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that we can remember together. That God, that there is a moment now that we get to do as your body that comes together because God, we are united by your blood and your sacrifice and we are grateful. And Lord, we look to a coming day where Father, we are gathered together with those that have gone before us, with those that we have lost and we sit in your presence and we share a meal with you. God, I am grateful that eating and drinking is central to your kingdom. And I thank you for being in this place now. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin to close our service, I want you to hear another story of a couple in our church who has recently gotten connected. Anybody can walk into a worship service, sit down, go through the motion, and get up and leave. And... Maybe we've all done it, right? But where things happened and where lives were changed and where there's growth is in community with others. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We did miss Sunday morning gathering because out of that gathering can become very homogenous relationships. They're not forced. You sit next to someone, you really like them, they really like you, or you don't get along, you've got different personalities, different interests, but you can discover that in that Sunday morning setting in a very relaxed way. We love the fact that both services were the same so that we could find a, you know, a, a life group during whichever life group we could go to because we knew the life group was gonna drive our worship. All the groups were very friendly, very easy to talk to, the teachers were great, you're able to share, you know, your struggles. You're able to share um, the wins. I had ladies that I'd become friends with. Man, they would, I would be at a time when I thought, oh my gosh, can I do this anymore? They would just send me these most amazing texts or these most amazing prayers or verses that when I'd be like, okay, I'm done. And I would get that and I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to keep going, you know. It was because of those friendships. And those friendships that I made, that I could be myself. I didn't have to put on some fake, you know, person. I mean, I could just be myself. We live life together. So we do, we share praises and we, we share storms in life. Um, and you can just tell that it's very open. It takes time, it takes effort, um, it takes forging, but that's what it's about. So until you sometimes break bread, I think it, it can make things much more meaningful too, because you get to see, you know, 
you get to see what what they're really like, right? And 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 they're gonna inevitably, while eating, you know, they're gonna talk about things because you you can't just sit there. You you don't eat in silence, right? You know, when you eat together, it's like okay, we'll go because we got to eat anyway. But then you find yourself in conversation, and you find yourself in those homogenous relationships compared to forced relationships. together stays together or a family that prays together however you want to put it stays together and again it's a homogenous community that's forged that takes effort so when you the effort you put into something is going to be the results that you get out of it and it's a fact of life and you make those friends that'll that'll have your back and that'll be there for you no matter what we are rick and tammy gurney and we'd love to see you at the table Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.